good to be together this morning and to focus together on the love that God has for us and then to look at what what happens in us and through us because of God's love for us. We're in this series called In But Not Of, talking a lot about holiness, about how we as God's people are to be different from the world uh, for the good of the world, that God has put us in this place on purpose, but we are not to look like and think like and worship like and love like everybody else in this world around us. And so we've been in a number of different places, and last week we were in one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 46. If you were not around, and I know in the summertime people are in and out, remember that you can get uh, messages online on our website and keep up in that way, uh, at least with where we've been. Uh, but today we're going to be in the book of 1 John, and so if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. As you're turning there, uh, just a, a quick note to get us kind of introduced to where we're at today. Yesterday, it was less than 24 hours ago that I was standing back a little further without a pulpit and with a bride and groom in front of me. Uh, Lucas and Zoe uh, from our church family were married yesterday, and some of you were here to witness to it. And at a wedding ceremony, a couple is making a pretty significant commitment to one another. They promised that they would love one another and be faithful to one another until death parts them. Traditional wedding vows, they chose some different vows, but traditional wedding vows say it this way. Do you promise to love him, comfort him, honor and keep him for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful only to him for as long as you both shall live. The message that we're looking at today from 1 John 2, 15-17 has a parallel with, with that part of the traditional wedding vows. That idea of a commitment that a, a bride is making to a groom and a groom to a bride, and the bride is saying to the groom, I'm making this commitment to you in a way that I am going to forsake all others and be faithful only to you. My love is going to be for you and for you alone in a way that's different than my love for others. That's the commitment uh, that they made as a couple here yesterday. So that, so that there's this commitment that whenever in me this, this desire might rise up to love another like I am committed to loving you, I resist that desire and I'm reminded of the fact that, that yesterday they, they exchanged rings and the rings were exchanged as a reminder of this commitment that they have made, the vows that they have made to one another, that they would love one another solely. And this commitment, of course, is a life changer because here's the reality. Who or what we choose to love determines how we live. Do you believe that? That who or what we choose to love determines how we live. And the reality is it, it determines how we live both now and for eternity, which we're going to see in the passage that we look at today. We're going to be in the book of 1 John, like I said. We're going to jump right into chapter 2, only three verses today, verses 15 to 17. And just as last week there was a contrast put before us, that God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and remember that God was saying, the people around you will worship all sorts of other gods. 
But the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, said to his people, but there is no God like me. There is no one else like me. And there's this contrast between the silliness of the other gods and the greatness and the glory of the one true God. We saw that contrast last week. Now this week in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see another contrast. And that's a contrast in application of, of who or what we love. Do we love the world or do we love the Father? There's a contrast that we're going to see in this passage today. And so if you're in your Bible, you're in 1 John chapter 2, three short verses, so you're going to stand and not stand long as we read God's Word today. So please stand if you're able to. I'll pray first and then we'll read. Father, thank you for your great love for us and all of the reminders of that this morning. And God, for all of us who are in here, who have made a commitment to worship Jesus as Lord and Savior, you command us to love you, the Lord our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've made a commitment to not love another as we love you. And so God, help us to renew that today. And for all that are gathered here today, whose love is for something or someone else greater than the love that they have for you, I pray that you would come and you would change their heart today. You have the power to do that, and I pray that you would. Thank you for your word. Transform us and mold us by it today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, God's word says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. You can be seated. So there's a command there that the passage starts with. There's a choice to make right away in that first verse. Love the world or love God. Let's look at the first verse. It starts with a command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay? It could even literally be translated, stop loving the world. Instead of do not love the world, he, it could have been translated probably more accurately, stop loving the world or the things in the world. Recognizing, John recognizing that the audience that he was writing to is really probably not much different than us today, that the world, the things in this world, the things that everybody else loves and is attracted to are also attractive to us. And so the call is stop loving the world, or do not love the world. I want to do a couple of definitions before we go on, because love of the word we use a lot, right? Like, I love pizza. I love coffee. And so, so it's, it's a, I love my wife. And obviously, those are all not like on the same level. And so, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about when we talk about love here. 
One definition that I think is really simple, easy to remember, and is applicable here in this case is love is a steadfast devotion of the will. It's, it's a commitment. Yes, it's a, it's a feeling. It's something that happens in the heart, but it goes far beyond that as well. It's much deeper than that. But love is a steadfast devotion of the will. It, it leads to some kind of action, some kind of doing, the, the will, the, the, the choices that we make. Love is a steadfast devotion of the will. And so we're, not, we're called here in this passage not to steadfastly devote ourselves to the world or the things of the world. World is also one that needs definition because um, world is, is translated, uh, the same word is translated a number of different ways. Uh, and, and often uh, we just translate it world and it can mean three different things. In one case, there is world, like the world, what God created. So in John chapter 1, verse 10, the world is used in that way, uh, where it says uh, in John 1, 10, and the world was made through him. Okay, So the world, the earth, the, the, the globe, right, the planet that we're on, that's the world in one sense. In another sense, it's referring to all the people living in the world. So later on in John, John chapter 3, remember, for God so loved what? The world, referring to the people in the world. Now, this use of the word world here in 1 John chapter 2 is the third use of the word world. Okay, So it's not referring to the planet. It's not referring to all the people in the planet. It's referring to a system or way of living that is opposed to Jesus and his work. Okay? So that's another way of talking about the world. Kind of the world over and against who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so this is what John is calling the readers to. To not love or not be steadfastly devoted to a system or way of living or thinking that's opposed to Jesus and his work really fits in well with the title of our series, In But Not Of, that we are to be people who are different from the world. So do not love the world or the things in the world, recognizing that you can't be steadfastly devoted to the things of the world and to God at the same time. Do you see that there at the end of the verse? If anyone loves the world, Okay? So first the command, don't love the world or the things in the world. And then this statement, if anyone loves the world. Like if all these things that are so attractive to you that the rest of the world loves and chases after, if that's what you're all about, if you love the world, then it says the love of the Father is not in him. Love of the Father is not in him. Now in this case... Love of the Father, in some translations even just translate it, love for the Father, okay? Because that's what it means in this case. Kind of, kind of like we would use the word, the phrase like love of money means love for money, right? Love of the Father means love for the Father. So he, he's, he's contrasting these two things. You can't choose to do both. You can't choose to love the world and love the Father, referring to God. That there must be a choice that you make. Is the steadfast devotion of your will going to be for the things of this world or for God the Father? Which are you going 
to choose. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's no fence-riding option, right? And so, so it kind of goes back to that, that wedding illustration, forsaking all others. Uh, we had kind of a funny conversation in our house at one point this week where the kids asked if I had other girlfriends before Kirsten and I got married. Uh, so that was kind of a fun conversation to have, and the answer was yes. Uh, and, and so to kind of <laughs> walk, walk through that conversation, but then to, to make it clear that when Kirsten and I got married, the vows weren't like, hey, I'm going to hold on to some of those other girlfriends, but you're going to be like my favoritist one. Like, that wasn't my vow. My vow is, I'm not going to try to ride the fence here, but I am making this, this commitment to love you as my wife, forsaking all others, being faithful only to you, right? And that's what we're seeing here in 1 John chapter 2. Are you going to be steadfastly committed to loving the Father, or are you going to love the world? You can't just kind of say, well, he's going to be my favorite, but I'm also going to just really love the world a lot, too. Right? All right. So some application of this. How do I know if I'm loving the world? I came across a, a list of, uh, of things this week that I thought was helpful, and I just kind of simplified it because it was longer and stuff like that. But I'll just put a few things up there, and I won't take time to go through each of them. How do I know if I'm loving the world? If it's what I think about all the time. If it's what I talk about all the time. If I'm unwilling to give something up, that might be a good indicator that I love it too much. We get jealous. That's a good indicator. When I get jealous of what others have rather than thanking God for what He's given, an indicator that I might love the world. If I work hard to get the things of the world so that we can enjoy them while failing to work hard to serve God and enjoy Him, that might be an indicator. When we pride ourselves in our accomplishments and love it when people delight in us more than we love it when people delight in God, that might be an indicator that we are being pulled toward a love for the world. And because we have a sinful nature, it is so easy for us to be pulled in. The world is like bait and we're like hungry fish, just kind of ready to go snap at it. It looks good to us. The things of the world are attractive, and that's why we need, that's why John needed to share commands with Christians, and that's why we need to hear the commands again. Do not love the world or the things of the world. We must make a choice, a daily, ongoing choice. Who or what will we love, knowing that who or what we love will determine how we live. And we need to take practical steps toward this. If we want to guard ourselves from, from falling into this trap of loving the world or the things in the world, we need to take some practical steps to guard ourselves from that. What might one of those steps be? What practical steps are we taking, you can ask yourself this question, what practical steps am I taking to guard myself from loving others like I love God? One practice that a lot of people have is that they don't love money, which is a super big temptation for us who are rich and have access to much, is that they seek to give much of it away. That's going to help me not, not have money be my greatest treasure. I'm going to be generous with it. 
right? What kind of steps are we taking to guard ourselves from loving others or loving, not, so we are called to love one another, right? So this is where it gets a little bit tricky. We're called to love one another, but we're not called to love the world or the things in this world. Are we called to enjoy? You can, you can work this out. I've got some application questions uh, in there for you to work out if you're, if you're meeting with the life group that's still meeting or just meeting together with your family. Some other passages for you to look at don't have time in the worship service uh, and in the sermon to kind of flesh out what does it mean to not love the world but to love all the people. In the world. Like how, do we, how do we do that? You can think more about that throughout this week. But what practical steps are we taking to guard ourselves from loving another in the same way that we love God? Quick illustration of this. Uh, this picture that I'm putting up there right now, uh, maybe you recognize them. Oh, man, that's little, I guess. That's Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth. Okay, And, and you've more than likely heard, uh, and it's kind of been in the news even a little bit more recently, of, of something known as what, we, what came to be called the Billy Graham rule. I don't think he probably invented it, but it was one thing that he kind of made famous, and that was this idea that when he committed himself to, to his wife, he made a commitment not to spend alone time one-on-one with another woman, right? And so our current vice president kind of uh, has that. And that's why it's been in the news and it's been criticized and that kind of thing. But it was a step that he took to guard himself from loving another like he had committed to loving his wife. So just an illustration of that. This is a practical step that he has taken in that relationship. And so we need to think about that in our relationship with God. As I've made a commitment to love him and not love the things of this world, what practical steps do I have in place to guard myself from becoming one who begins to love the things of this world and therefore be unfaithful to my commitment to love him above everything else? Okay, So there's uh, maybe an illustration. Here's, here's why we have to make a choice. Here's what James 4.4 4 says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So, so people thinking like you can ride the fence and you can do both. You can like be, be friends with the world and the way the world thinks and the way the world lives and to be a friend of God. Like those don't work. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We must make a choice choose one or do we choose the other verse 16 what the world offers here's why it is that the world that we live in is so attractive it's so enticing to love the world because there's something in us that's drawn to it our sinful nature our flesh okay so look at verse 16 it says for all that is in the world and it begins it's going to have three things one, the desires of the flesh, okay? Or your translation might say, the cravings of the sinful nature. We are attracted to love the things of this world because we have a sinful nature or because we have the flesh that remains in us. There's this draw, there's this pull toward loving things of this world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. This is not a new thing. The fruit on the tree looked good to Eve, and so she ate it. And she gave it to Adam, and it looked good to him, and so he ate it, even though it was clearly commanded that they not 
do that. We're just drawn to sin. The desires of the flesh. But then he's going to get more specific. He says the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes. See, here's here's the way we're kind of wired. We see stuff, we want stuff. Amen? Right? We see stuff, we want stuff. We see a person and we want that person. That's referred to as lust. We see what other people have and we think that we need what other people have. Kids, how often have you been kind of frustrated with your parents because you've seen something that you've wanted and they've told you no? You've maybe thrown a fit or two about that in your life, haven't you? Right. So it starts even when we're kids that we see something and we want something. If you want to hear kids throw a fit, go to the toy section in Walmart and you'll get to see it. Just stay like 15 minutes, I bet. You'll get to see somebody throw a fit because there's a parent who had the guts to let kids see something and tell them, no, you can't have that, right? So it starts when we're young and we don't grow out of it. We go to somebody's house and we see that and like, oh, now we need that, right? We see an advertisement and it does something inside of us. And all of a sudden, what we see, we want. The desires of the eye. We see and we want. And, you know, compared to the people to whom John was writing, we're way richer than they are. And we have access to way more than they have access to. So this is a real danger for us, isn't it? The desires of the eyes that we can satisfy ourselves, we have the ability, unlike most other Christians around the world, and unlike most other Christians throughout history, we have the ability, if not through actual assets that we have, at least through credit, that we see something and we can find a way to get it. Right? It's so easily accessible. I have an app on my phone for Amazon, and because hitting it two times is too hard, there's one-click options for buying. So I don't even have to add it to my cart and then buy it. I can just click it once and I can buy all sorts of stuff like that. We have incredible access to the things of this world and we have riches, the likes of which most people around the world do not have. And so we need to acknowledge this as a real danger that there are desires that we have coming from our sinful nature. We have this desire, we see and we want. And so it is very easy for us to be drawn into loving the things of this world. We need to just acknowledge that. And then the last thing that he lists is this, and pride of life. Your translation might say pride of possessions. It's the idea that we have arrived now that we have a certain number of achievements or a certain number of things. If people look at you and say that you're successful or if you're driven by that in some way, that can cause us to love things of this world. Wanting to be or look successful in the eyes of the world around us. The pride of life. And then it says this, these things are not from the Father, they're from the world. Desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, these are not from the Father. These are things that are from the world. We need to acknowledge it as that. And then for application, we need to recognize, just, let's just admit it together. It's hard to resist becoming like the world around us. It's like it's the pond that we swim in. It just We end up kind of just taking on the characteristics and qualities. 
It's so easy for us to not be any different from the world, to love the things the world around us loves, to chase the things the world around us chases. And this is not new. This is not like uh, an American problem in the 21st century. This is a human sinful nature kind of problem. I was reading in my Bible reading plan uh, from 2 Kings this week. And I came across, you remember this guy named Gehazi? Maybe, it sounds like he's from Italy. I don't know uh, exactly his his origin. But Gehazi uh, was a, a servant to Elisha. Elisha was a prophet sent by God who did some amazing, miraculous things. At a time where, where, where things were a bit shaky, God sent the prophet Elisha to do powerful things that would witness and testify to God's great power. Right? And so all these good things are happening through Elisha. And he's got this servant who seems to be a faithful servant named Gehazi. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, we're told of a time when, when uh, Elisha has a, a powerful man, the commander of the armies of the kings of Syria, comes to him, and he has leprosy. And this man has been sent, because he's an important, powerful, influential, rich man, he's been sent with lots of things to give to whoever heals him. And so this rich man is healed by Elisha, a man of God, heals this man, and this man then offers Elisha all this stuff. But Elisha, I don't, it doesn't tell us his motivations in Scripture, but Elisha is a faithful servant of God, and so he doesn't heal in order that he might get paid a lot, and so he resists this man's gifts. This man wants to give him a gift for healing him, curing him of leprosy. Elisha says, no, I'm not going to take it. This guy's taking a lot of stuff with him. He probably showed it to Elisha. But Elisha says, no, I'm not going to take that. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, he's watching all this happen, and he probably can't believe that Elisha just turned that down. He's just like all the rest of us. He's thinking, man, life would sure be better if I had just a little bit more. Right? Like, we're struggling. And we could have used that. And he just turned it down. And so you know what Gehazi does? As soon as that guy goes away on his chariot, Gehazi's off. I'm going to go chase him down. He chases him down. The guy sees Gehazi running after him, and he stops. Gehazi catches up, and Gehazi makes up this story about how somebody just showed up, and now Elisha says he could use um, one talent of silver and uh, two sets of clothing. And the guy says, oh, well, sure. I mean, he just healed him of leprosy, and if he needs it, for sure I'll give it to him. And so he gives Gehazi not one talent of silver, but two talents of silver and two sets of clothing. Gehazi goes back, and he hides it in the house. Then he goes back to Elisha, probably whistling. you know. And Elisha asks him, hey, where were you? And he, he says, he says, nowhere. <laughs> like, well, that's creative. He's going to come up with something. Like, where were you? Nowhere. Nowhere. But Elisha knows what's going on. He knew what his servant Gehazi had done. Gehazi, who had everything provided for him, everything that he needed, he thought, man, if I just had a little bit more. And his desire for the things of this world, from, from, he, it caused him to fail to be a faithful servant of God. He chased after those things instead of being obedient to God. And so... A number of years later, 
it's not surprising that as Paul writes to young Timothy, and Timothy is a young pastor leading a congregation, that Paul tells Timothy this, expecting that Timothy is going to pass this on to his church as well. Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now listen to this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. When we walk away from faithfulness to God and instead choose to chase after the things of this world, there are consequences. I forgot to tell you the end of that story. Gehazi gets leprosy. He becomes immediately leprous. There's a consequence for him for chasing after the things of this world. Sometimes we're going to see that in this world. Sometimes it's in the life to come. But when we walk away from faithfulness to God and instead choose to chase after the things of this world, there are consequences, even eternal consequences. So let's look at the last verse. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is attractive. Our sinful nature, our flesh is attracted to what we see. We see it. We want it. And if we go and get it, what are the consequences? Verse 17 says this, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay? So see how I made a little chart because they're helpful for me. See how both of them start with love. Okay? A choice to love something. Do we love God or do we love the world? We love the world. That leads to us chasing after the desires of the flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the pride of life. It's what everybody else is doing. But those things it says here in verse 17 are passing away. Those things are temporary at best. Like a flower that's been cut uh, from wherever it's been growing, and you put it in a vase in water, and that will keep it going for a while. And it looks beautiful, but it's in the process of dying, isn't it? That flower in the vase with water, it's in the process of dying. And that's what the world is like. It's stuff that looks beautiful and attractive, but it's in the process of dying. It's not going to abide forever. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. When our love is for something that is not temporary, not something that is not passing away, and that is God, then we have the hope that we who then do the will of God, instead of chasing after the things of this world, we are people who do the will of God, then we are the people who will abide forever. So you see how it starts with love. And so who or what we love determines how we live, both now and for eternity. So one option for us is that we can spend our whole lives pursuing and loving and chasing the things of this world. Young kids can do this. You love to get what you want. You can start this young. You don't have to wait till you're an adult to start loving the world. You can start doing it when you're a kid. 
college students, they can do this. They can choose to waste years of their life chasing worldly things. Single people can do it. Married people can do it. Parents can do it. Grandparents can do it. Empty nesters can do it. Retired folks can do it. There's all sorts of ways that we can be like the rest of the world and love the things that the world loves. But the result is that we are pursuing something that is passing away. That you could spend your whole life chasing after, trying to get to a certain level, and then find that by the time you get there, it's gone. Maybe there was a car you've always wanted, and you finally got it, and it's maybe now sitting in a junkyard somewhere. You pursued a great job, and you arrived, and then you lost that job. How many professional athletes and musicians and movie stars have made it to the top? They're the, they're the few, they're the elite, but they're rich and successful and completely unsatisfied because they're chasing things that are passing away, things that are so temporary. But if we love the Father and spend our life pursuing His will, and again, young kids, you can start this when you're young. When you're young, you can seek to obey your parents. You can seek to worship Jesus. You can put your faith in Him and be saved. All sorts of ways that we can do this, knowing the hope that all who are in Christ, when we love Him above everything else, we love Him, we're going to do what He commands. That's what He says in 1 John. If you love me, you will... Maybe it's John. I can't remember one of the two. It says that if you love me, you will obey what I command. We do the will of God when we choose to love God first. And loving Him determines the way that we live our lives, and that determines our eternity, that we will abide forever. We will remain forever with Him. So, who or what we love determines how we live. I just ask you this. Are you acknowledging the pull toward the world? Maybe you're being pulled in a different direction than other people here, but, but there's all sorts of ways in which the world pulls us and seeks to draw us in, and our sinful nature is willing to go with it so easily. And so I'd ask you the question, are you fighting it or are you going with the flow? Because if you're not fighting it, you're probably going with the flow. If you're not actively engaged in saying, I will not love the world and the things in this world, guess what's going to happen? You're going to just kind of be sucked into the flow. And you're going to start loving the world and the things in this world, right? If you're not actively fighting against it, if you're not recognizing that there is power within you by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and that there is victory waiting ahead for you, you're going to be pulled in. You need to be fighting. Uh, I think of uh, when I played basketball. Uh, I've mentioned this before, maybe. Uh, when I played basketball in high school, our senior year, uh, we finished the season uh, with a record of 0-23, which meant we played 23 games and we lost every single one of them. And we got to a point, um, not, very, not very long into the season, where when we would gather together in a huddle before the game started, it was just the team and the coach wasn't there. We were supposed to, the team captain was supposed to say something to kind of get us all pumped up and ready to go fight. We got about midway through the season. He just told a joke every time we got there. Just told a joke and we'd all walk away laughing. Because we're just like, you know what? We're going to lose again. And so we gave up fighting. And guess what happened? We lost again every single time. 
But if we who are in Christ know that we have victory, there will one day, because of what Christ has done, there is victory. All who trust in him have victory over the the penalty of sin that we deserve. He took that. The power of sin over us, we're no longer slaves to that. And the presence of sin will one day be done away with when Jesus returns. This is true for all who are in Christ. And so we know that we have victory, and so we must, knowing that, fight so that we do not become like the rest of the world around us, loving what they love, chasing what they chase, living how they live. Fight because we know that in Christ, we win. I'm going to close with a quote today. I'm going to close with a quote uh, from a guy who's been dead for quite a long time now, uh, probably over a hundred years. But it was useful for people when he wrote it. And it was useful for me just a couple, uh, three, four weeks ago, maybe when I read it. And I hope it's going to be useful for us today as well. Here's the quote. It's longer. Get ready. You like good sermons, perhaps. You respect the Bible. Even read it occasionally. You say your prayers night and morning. I thank God for this. It's all very good. But how goes the battle? How does the great conflict go on all this time? Are you overcoming love of the world and fear of man? Are you overcoming the passions tempers and lusts of your own heart are you resisting the devil and making him flee from you how is it in this matter you must either rule or serve sin and the devil and the world there is no middle course you must either conquer or be lost i fear much for many professing christians i see no sign of fighting in them much less of victory They never strike one stroke in the side of Christ. They're at peace with his enemies. They have no quarrel with sin. I warn you, this is not Christianity. This is not the way to heaven. So what? Later, here's what he says, and I'll conclude with this part of it. Let us so live that all may see that to us, The things of God are the first things. And the glory of God, the first aim in our lives. To follow Christ, our grand object in time present. To be with Christ, our grand desire in time to come. Let us live in this way, and we shall be happy. Let us live in this way, and we shall do good to the world. Let us live in this way, and we shall leave behind good evidence when we are buried. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us, all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have put our faith in Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We have your spirit dwelling in us, so sin no longer has power over us. We look forward to the day when we will no longer even be in the presence of sin. But God, help us in this day while sin is still present and while we still have a sinful nature in us. Help us to be people who do not just go with the flow. We do not live like the world around us lives. We do not love what the world around us loves. But we love you above all. Help us to live in such a way 
that it is clear to everybody around us that we love you above everything else, that that's our primary aim in life. Help us to live in such a way that it is clear not just to everybody else, but that we're reminding ourselves on a daily basis of the need to fight. Just like a wedding vow is made on one day, but it's carried out with daily decision, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, a commitment to, to love one, forsaking all others. God, would you give that to us who are Christians? A desire to, to, to re- be reminded daily of the choice that we have to make, that we will love you above everything else. Not loving the world or the things in this world. Not, not chasing after what everybody's chasing after. God, help us as we wrestle with this. Help us as we fight. Thank you for your spirit who dwells in us. And God, I lift up all those who are gathered with us this morning who would, if they're honest, have to confess that they have spent their life up to this point loving the world and the things in this world. That's offensive to you. And for that sin, they are deserving of your wrath. God, I pray that they would hear the good news that you have so loved them that you sent your one and only son, that he would take on the punishment that we deserve. And that that those who are convicted of their sin this morning, that they would repent and that they would put their faith in Jesus, trusting him, hoping in him as Lord and as Savior. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the joyous reality that for all of us who are in Christ, we're going to be singing about that now. We're going to be singing about that uh, for as long as we live on this earth. And we're going to be singing about your love even when we're with you. We love you. And help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.